All right, good morning, Journey Church. Well, today we are continuing our Start Over series by looking at how to get uh, the high score. So I don't know about you guys, but my daughter loves video games, specifically on uh, a portable phone. So if you give her a cell phone with a game on it, you can keep her busy for hours. And one of the games she's enjoying playing right now is a modern-day version of Frogger. So raise your hand if you remember the game Frogger, right? And uh, you you get run over. That's pretty much the point of it. And so every time she gets to a certain level or to a new score, she makes sure to leave whatever she is doing and interrupt whatever I'm doing so that I know that she got a new high score. So today we're looking at the fact that ultimately we want a high score in life. I don't know about you guys, but I am driven to win. It is something that was ingrained in me at an early age because I have two older brothers and as the youngest child, you lose a lot, right? They make sure that you lose in almost everything that you are doing. And I grew up in a way where uh, my mom would take us outside when we got up. She would lock the door. I never really understood why. And then she would say, come home when when the sun uh, is going down. So that, that's pretty much my life. We were outside all the time. And it was either a football game going on, a baseball game going on, or a basketball game going on. And I know this is hard to believe, but I'm not a very athletic guy. And so I found myself losing over and over and over again. So one day I said, you know what? I can't out-physical them, but I can outsmart them. And so I'm going to use my wit to, to beat my brothers at whatever we're doing. And I found out that day, not only am I not athletic, but I'm not really that smart of a guy. And so I continued to lose, and then something miraculous happened. And so at the age of nine, I got this little gray box. And uh, on the box was this word written in red, Nintendo. And I realized that although they could destroy me and anything that required physical activity, I could destroy them mentally by playing Nintendo, and the reaction was far greater. Right? It was, if you lose at a basketball game, we'd get mad, you'd take your ball, you'd go home. When I beat them at Nintendo, stuff went flying across the room. Right? And then all of a sudden, mom or dad, they're in the room, and they're getting in trouble. It's just like a 2-4 if you're a youngest child. And it was great, but I had this desire early on that, man, I want to win, and I want to I wanna just knock this out before we dig into it. Listen, desiring to win and be successful is not a negative thing. We live in a society now where it's almost a negative that, hey, I want to be successful and I want to win. And we're almost looked down on because you're driven. Look, I want you to know that it is a good thing to be driven. It is a good thing to desire to be successful. It is a good thing to desire to win. It is something that God has placed inside of you. There's a verse in the Bible that says this. This is Paul speaking to the people in Corinthians. He says this. He said, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs... But only one person gets the prize. Look, don't miss this. So run to win. Look, he's not talking about a physical competition. He's talking about living in such a way that at the end of your life, people will look and go, they won. I don't know about you, but when I get to heaven, I don't want to stand in front of the Savior that gave his life for me and for him to go, well, man, you pushed through it. Right? You made it. You got here. No, I want to stand in front of Jesus who gave his life for me and hear him say, hey, Daniel, well done. Well done. You did everything that you could do with the life and with the talent and with the skills that I gave you. Well done. Well done. You ran your, you ran your race well. You ran your race well. Anyone in here a runner? You guys like to run? Raise your hand. Those of you, right? One. Uh, 
there's got to be more than one. There's a lot of people in this room. All right. So, so I actually enjoy running. I don't do a lot anymore because my wife enjoys CrossFit. And if you're married, you know, you do what your wife enjoys doing. And so we go, we do that a lot. But at some point in ministry, I realized that I had gotten too healthy. You know what I mean? I don't mean like I was eating a lot of vegetables. I mean, there was too much of me. And so I decided that I should start running. And we had moved several times. And every time you move, people want to take you to their favorite restaurant. And man, it's never anywhere healthy. And you eat there and you get a bunch of fried food. And they're like, hey, the best thing here is the dessert, right? You don't want to miss the dessert. And you don't want to be rude when you're getting somewhere new. And so you just eat everything that is put in front of you. And I'd been at a church for about three years. And I was like, all right, I've been eating long enough. And so I started running. And I called a buddy and I was like, hey man, I want you to start running with me. Like I want you to hold me accountable and we're going to run and we're going to do it every day. And so we started. When I was young, I could just run for days, right? We started and I ran a little while and it was not anything near what it used to be. And we ran the next day and we ran the next day and sure enough, eventually it got easy and then we changed jobs again. And so we're at a new place and the whole process starts over. Right? Hey man, we want to take you guys out to lunch. Our favorite place is, and we were at the Gulf Coast, there's always some fried seafood type joint, and, and so the whole thing, about three months in, I'm like, man, it's starting all over again. And I had made friends with a guy at our new church, and he said, dude, I heard you complain another day about not getting to work out anymore. He said, so tomorrow, I want you to meet me at this track, and, and we're going to run together. I said, okay. We're going to run, and I told you guys I'm competitive, so I'm thinking, we're not just going to run, I'm going to destroy you, right? You're going to be looking at the back of my t-shirt. I, I took notice into what t-shirt I had on, because I knew he's going to be looking at the back of it. We're about a quarter mile in, you guys, I'm over here, right? I'm laid over, I'm breathing hard, and he turns around, he walks back to me, and he goes, what's wrong? I said, dude, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> he goes, you're destroying my run, throw up, let's go. And <laughs> it made me so mad, I was like, okay. And so for the next 10 days, I got up at 5.30 and I ran every day. And it started going on for months. And eventually I invited him out for a run again. And uh, I was waiting on him when he got done. And I said, hey, dude, you remember a couple months ago, you made the statement. He goes, I'm going home. Right? He didn't let me finish. He didn't let me have the fun or gloat in it. Look, there is something true. Look, I want to I wanna win, but here's the truth. My buddy felt bad for me, but you know what he couldn't do? He couldn't run for me. He couldn't run my race. That was something that I had to do on my own. I had to run my own race. And later on, a couple months later, I couldn't run his either. You have a race that God has given you to run in life. And look, it is unique. Your race is not like anyone else's. He hadn't called you to accomplish the same things that anyone else has accomplished or to be in the same places. He hadn't given you the same attitude or personalities or gifts as anyone else. You are very, very unique. And the race that God has called you to run is very unique also. But it's a race that you have to run. It's not a race that anyone else can run for you. At the age of 17, God began imprinting a few things on my heart about running and how I ought to live my life. I'd been invited to speak at a, a youth rally. It was this all-day event. And, and so for weeks prior, I'd been studying and I'd been getting ready to go and speak. And it's one of the first times that I'd ever shared. And I remember digging into this passage that we're about to look at in Hebrews. And God impressed a few things on my heart that have literally determined the way that I live and the decisions that I make since I was 17 years old. So just a little precursor to today's message. I'm not sharing anything earth-shattering with you today. 
In fact, what I share with you today, probably a 17-year-old could stand on the stage and share the same thing. But what I am going to share are four principles that if you actually live them out, it, they will begin to change your life. God will use them to change what He's doing in your life and the impact that you're having and the race that you're getting to run. So you want to be successful. You want to run your race well. You want to hear, well done. But listen, jot this down. If you win by the world's standards, but you lose by God's, you've lost. See, the world's standards are this, that, that here's how you, you win your race. You climb to the top of the ladder. Right, you get there as fast as you can possibly get there. Once you get there, you get all the wealth and prestige that you can get. And then all of a sudden, people are looking at you and they're going, Man, I wish I was more like... And that's where, that's when you get there. You succeeded when people look at you and they go, Man, I want the life that whoever you are has. I want to be like them. I don't want to live in that kind of house or drive that type of car or have that type of influence or have that many followers on social media. That's the life that I want. Listen, you can get to the top of that ladder. But don't miss this. You can get to the top of that ladder. And when you get there, if you reach success the way the world determines it, you will get there. Right? You'll make it and you'll realize that your ladder's up against the wrong wall. You spent all that time climbing a ladder that took you nowhere that you wanted to go. And so when we share these principles today, I don't want you to miss this. I'm not trying to help you become successful in the world's eyes. What I want you to do is leave thinking about how do I actually live out what God has created me for? How do I run the race that God has for me? And we want to be successful not in the world's eyes. We want to be successful in our Savior's eyes. And so here we go, a plan to do it God's way. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him who has endured such hostility by sinners against Himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Four things the writer of Hebrews shares with us. The first one is this, is that if you're going to run your race well, you have to keep the right people in your life. you got to keep the right people in your life. I'm going to let you in on a secret that if you're a parent, you probably already know it, but you probably never thought about it. You don't pick your friends. Your friends pick you. By and large, you're not intentional about the friends that you have in your life. In fact, if you take it all the way back to grade school, you'll find yourself being friends naturally with the people who accept you, right? It's an organic kind of thing. Like, oh, they laughed at my joke, and so now we're a friend. Or we like the same things, and so now we're friends. But rarely are we intentional about the people that we put in our life. It almost happens by accident. But as a parent, you know that's not a good idea. And so your teenager brings a friend home, and you spend the majority of the time that that person is at your house sizing them up, don't you? You're trying to figure out if they're respectable. You're figuring out if it's someone that your child should be around because you know this to be true. You become who you hang around. That's it. And if your child hangs around this person long enough, you know that your child, your son, your daughter is going to begin saying the same things that they say. They're going to begin doing the same things that they do. In fact, they're going to become almost the same person. 
and it is going to irritate you beyond measure. And so there probably have been times that you as a parent, someone has left your house, you have called your son and daughter into a room, and you have looked at them, and you have said, you do not need to hang around them. You're saying in, in, in a, a no other way, with a little bit of firmness, that you need to choose your friends better. You need to choose your friends better. But as adults, I guess we think that ends. And so we don't put much thought into who our friends are either. But the, the, the truth is the same. You become who you hang around. And so you, as an individual, who are you hanging around? Like, who, who is it that is in your life? The writer of Hebrews says this. He says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, <clears throat> he's talking about heroes of the faith. So anytime you see the word therefore, you go backwards, see what they're talking about. And he's talking about guys like Moses and Abraham and Rahab. He's talking about people who did tremendous things for the cause of God and for eventually the cause of the gospel. And he's saying, look, therefore, since they've set such a good example, but I want to make it a little more personal. Who is it that you surround yourself with in your life? Because if you look at your closest friends, listen, it's almost like looking into a mirror. You may not see it now. It may be two years down the road or three years down the road or four years, but you will always eventually become like the people that you hang around. And if you don't like the people that you're hanging around, listen, then be intentional about surrounding yourself with the right people. So a couple of bullet points to jot down. Here's the first one. One, you need a team in your life. Back in Genesis, when God created everything and and we were still in perfection before sin even entered the world and Adam and God's relationship was perfect. So in the midst of perfection, God looked into the garden and said, it's not good for man to be alone. In other words, he doesn't need to be doing life by himself. There is someone else that he should be doing life with. The same is true for me and you. You were not created to do life alone. You need to surround yourself with other people that can help you become everything that you can't be by yourself. Look, you can't run anybody else's race, but you sure can run beside them, right? And you can encourage them, and you can give them tips about the, the running that you've done before, and you need those people in your life. And you don't just need a team. Listen, you need people that you can be accountable to. You need people you can be accountable to. If you look around yourself and you don't have anyone in your life that has the ability to tell you that you're making a bad decision that you shouldn't make or you don't have anyone that has the ability to look at you and go, no, you don't need to do that, then you don't have the right people in your life. Because you need people that love you enough to tell you the truth even when it hurts your feelings. Right? You need those people in your life. So keep the right people in your life. You need people in your life who are going to encourage you, who are going to press you on, who are going to help you become a better follower of Jesus Christ. So the first principle, if you're going to run your race well, is to keep the right people in your life. In Galatians 6, chapter 2, we're reminded that we need other people when Paul says this. He says, share each other's burdens. In other words, I'll share yours, you share mine. And in this way... Obey the law of Christ. And so we run, but we don't run alone. We run with the right people in our life. Second, we keep our load light. We keep our load light. There's something that runners do that that bothers me a little bit. I'm not going to lie. I never never did it. I just couldn't. But uh, they get as light as they possibly can. Right? They, They will spend hundreds of dollars on a pair of shoes so that they fit right and the arches are right and they're as light as they can possibly be because they don't want any more resistance than they have to have. And so they get really nice. You pick them up and you're like, man, I feel like I'm holding a feather. i got to get a pair of these. And then they tell you how much they cost. And, 
you don't buy a pair of them, right? And they, it means a lot. And then, then they will do it. They will get as small a shirt as they can get, right? Most of the time they're not running with sleeves on and it's a really lightweight material again. They don't want any more resistance than they have to have. And then most runners that are guys, they take it too far, right? And they go and they go buy a pair of shorts. That's going to give them least resistance possible, right? They're, they're like way up here. They're running by you in the car and you're like shielding your eyes. You're not sure what's going on, right? But, but the key is this, is that I don't want anything holding me back. I don't want anything holding me back. So if it's not essential, it's not going with me. And so the writer of Hebrews touches on it. And he says, look, I want you guys to know this, is that you need to get rid of anything in your life that is an encumbrance or anything that is sin. Now, that, that's a big word. And the writer is saying this, He's saying, look, I want you to know, these are followers of Christ he's writing to, I want you to know that there are things in your life that are not sin that are hurting your relationship with Jesus. There are things in your life that from the outside looking in, anyone who sees them would go, that's not a sinful thing for you to be doing, right? That's okay for you to be doing. But the truth of the matter is, and you know it, that it's something that means too much to you, and it's becoming something that weighs you down. Listen, when you're running with an encumbrance in your life, it's like you have loaded up a backpack with weights, you have strapped it on your shoulders, and you're trying to run. It doesn't work, right? It weighs you down. You're still making progress, but you're not making near the progress that you could be making if you would just take the baggage off and set it down. And the writer of Hebrews is telling followers of Jesus, look, here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to get as light as possible. And before we deal with the sin in your life, I want you to know that there are things in your life that are good, but they're taking the place of the best things. And so I want you to, to replace the good with the best. But here's, here's practical where the rubber meets the road. Listen, it is not, it's not a sin to be a super sports fan, right? Or to have a certain team that you love and that you follow and that you set aside time every time that they're playing. Some of you guys can't wait to get home today because one of your favorite NFL teams is playing and you want to see how it ends up, right? That's okay. I enjoy sports too. I watch them all the time. That's all right. But listen, if you find yourself at work when you're getting paid to do a job and you're spending two hours a day on a recruiting website, you got an encumbrance. Right? It's something good that has become too heavy and you can't tote it around and you need to get rid of it. Listen, video games, we're kind of playing with them throughout this series. That's all good and fine, but if you're up at 2 o'clock in the morning when you ought to be in bed because you can't cut off your Xbox, you probably need to throw out your Xbox, right? It's not a sin, but it's become an encumbrance. It's something that is keeping you from running the race that God has before you. And so he tells us that, hey, you need to get rid of the encumbrances in your life. These are things that are useless. So here's what we do. We get rid of the useless stuff in our life. And here's how you know when something is useless. Listen, useless stuff will always waste three things. It'll waste your time, it'll waste your energy, and it'll waste your money. It'll waste your time, your energy, and your money. But you know right now the things in your life that are wasting your time, your energy, and, and, and your money. I, I don't have to call out stuff from a platform. You're thinking about it right now. You're thinking, you know what, yeah, I probably should. I spend way too much time on that, or I spend way too much mental or physical energy doing that, or you, you know what, it's just costing way too much money right now. I really shouldn't be doing that. It's not helpful to my life in general. And you know what you waste when you waste your time, your energy, and your money? Your life. You waste your life. 
And so if we have useless things in our life that are wasting time, energy, and money, listen, it's not something that you laugh at, and it's not something you joke about, it's not something you call a pet peeve, it's something that you get rid of. Right? We get those things out of our life because we want to be effective at what God has called us to do in the race that He has set before us. Look, it, it, it could be something that involves you. It could be something as a parent that involves your kid. Maybe you're spending tons of time and energy and you're stressed out financially because you're still pushing your kid to do something that they quit loving a long time ago. Right? Don't waste your life. Don't waste the lives of your kids chasing after things that really don't matter. If it's useless, get rid of it. Replace the good with the best. So he tells us, hey, you need to deal with the useless stuff in your life. And then he's point blank that, hey, you need to get rid of the stuff in your life that is sinful. And so he tells them that they're to get rid of the sin in their life. So if there's something in your life that you know is against the will of God, then his basic instruction is this, it's stop. You do whatever you have to do to figure out how to deal with the sin in your life. But for heaven's sakes, find some way to deal with it. Don't, don't keep ignoring it. Look, don't have a pet sin. That's a horrible pet. Right? Go get a dog or a cat. You don't want sin to be your pet. It will ruin your life. And so he's telling the believers, look, I want you to deal with it. God has put a race before you, and you can't run with sin in your life. If running with an encumbrance in your life is like having a backpack on, then running with sin in your life is like having your shoes tied to one another. You're going to fall flat on your face. It will not work. And so if we're going to run the race, and we're going to run it well, we're going to put the right people in our life. We're going to deal with the stuff in our life that we need to, and we're going to keep our load light. Listen, and then we're going to keep our focus. We're going to keep our focus. I I enjoy any kind of sport. And so if it's on, I'm I'm going to stop at least for a little while and watch it. There there are a few sports that I don't understand. Um, I won't call them out because it would offend some of you guys. But I'll watch it for a minute and then I'll move on. But when the Olympics are on, man, I'm fascinated. So I'm watching stuff that I never would have watched before, right? Like you're watching curling. And I still don't know how you score in that sport. But I watch just to see if anybody's going to fall down. And so they're doing their thing on the ice. And, and when their summer Olympics are going on, I'm, again, you're just watching stuff you don't, you don't know anything about. And so one day I'm flipping through the channels, through the Olympics, just seeing what's going on. And I come across skull racing. And I thought, well, this is interesting. What's going on is there's a bunch of guys in a boat. And each guy has an oar. And they're rowing as hard as they can possibly row and they're synchronized doing it like they're all rowing at the same time and their goal is to get to the finish line before the other boats in the race do and there's no turns there's no curves there's nothing close to nascar going on they're going in a straight line that's it they're just from point a to point b you get there first you win and i noticed that there is a guy that's really unathletic like me in the boat and i see him and i go i can do what he does right i could do this there are guys that, that when they get done, obviously their arms must feel like spaghetti noodles. They are working as hard as they can possibly work. None of them are facing the direction that they're rowing. Not one of them. They're all facing back from the direction that they started. But at the back of the boat, there's one guy. And he alone is facing the finish line. That's it. He's looking. And he ain't rowing at all. Matter of fact, he's not doing much of anything. He has a megaphone. And he's at the back of the boat, and here's all he's doing. He goes, row. And I thought, I can go to the Olympics. 
I got this. But here's the truth. He's probably the most important guy in the boat. Because if they don't row when he says row, or if he's not in the boat at all, all of a sudden you got a bunch of guys in the boat spinning in circles. Because they're not rowing when they're supposed to. But listen, their focus is never on the end of the race. Their focus is on the guy who knows where they should be going. And so they face the guy with the megaphone. Look, and he sets the pace, and he sets the timing, and he sets the direction. If he wants some speed up, he just gets a little excited. And instead of going, row, he goes, row, row, row. Right, that's it. That's all he has to do. That's it, but it's the most important job. And they focus on him. And you know what would happen if they turn around and they look to see where they're going? They get a little bit crooked and they slow down. And they lose the race. But as long as they focus where they ought to be focusing, they're going as fast as they can go. And they're doing exactly what they ought to be doing. Listen, us as believers, you see it already. Our focus isn't necessarily on just the finish line, but our focus is on a person. It's on the person of Jesus. And as long as our focus is on Him, it doesn't matter what's going on around us. It doesn't necessarily matter how hard life is going to get. And listen, it's going to get hard. I guarantee you that the guys rowing that boat, they're tired when their race is over. But their focus is where it ought to be. And as long as we focus where we ought to have our focus, life is bearable and we can accomplish what God has called us to do and run the race that He's called us to run. But here's what we do. Right, So often our eyes are here where they ought to be and they drift down here where they were never meant to be and we begin focusing on everything around us and we go, God, I don't know how I'm going to handle this and the whole time God is going, if you just look back at me, I'm going to handle that. Right, I got that. I didn't call you to handle that to start with. I called you to focus on me. I have, I have this problem. I don't know if you guys have a focus problem. My, my eyes are fine, but I find myself struggling to focus in life and also just when I'm doing anything. I, d- I don't have ADD like our Pastor Tony does by any means, but, uh, but I find it hard to focus for longer than about 20 minutes. And so I always, I'm looking around. If I'm studying and a bird flies by my window outside, it's a good 10 minutes before I bring it back in. You know, it's just kind of, kind of way I am. And, and one thing that my wife and I enjoy doing is CrossFit. And we'll go, and I have a problem there. Um, one, I'm not real strong. Two, she's better than I am. And so it's, it's a big problem. But I find myself pulling the coaches to the side when she's not paying attention, going, hey, how can I beat her? Right? Because I don't want to go home and have to, to listen to her brag all night. And so tell me what I need to do. And they, they keep giving me the same advice. I don't know why. Maybe because I don't follow it. But I get down and, and I'll pick a bar up instead of looking up like you're supposed to. If you know anything about, about lifting weights, you always want your eyes forward. You don't want to look down. Like, I've never seen a bar run away from anybody. It's not going anywhere. And so you don't have to look at it. You get your hands on it. And then if you will focus where you're supposed to, then your body will do the motion that it's meant to do. And, and the lift will be the way that it's meant to be. But I keep looking down. And so I'll go and I'll start lift. And sure enough, I'll look, look, I'll look down. I'll start doing some kind of jump rope. And instead of looking where I'm supposed to, I'll look down at my feet. And i beat myself to death with the rope. It's a focus problem. It's a focus problem. Listen, I don't want to tell you that everything in your life is a focus problem, but I'd be willing to bet that most of it is. That most of the issues that you deal with right now are a focus problem. That it's a matter of where you're looking. You see, if your eyes are on Jesus and you're serving a God that is capable of anything, there isn't any problem that looks like it's insurmountable. And we focus. We focus on the right thing. Jot these couple thoughts down. 
about it. You know why you're running, then you got to set your eyes on the finish line. And our finish line is not a destination. Listen, hopefully we will spend an eternity in heaven if we have a relationship with Jesus. That is where we will be. But heaven is not the destination. Heaven is not great because it has golden streets and gates made of some fantastic jewelry. Heaven is great because Jesus is there. Our finish line is not a place. It's not a destination. It's a person. And so we keep our eyes, we keep our focus on the finish line, on the person of Jesus. So we keep the load light, we keep our focus, we keep the right people, listen, and then we keep running the race. We keep running the race. Look, it is hard. And there are times that you will fall down and you don't want to get up, but listen, you got to get back up. you got to get up. Your race isn't over. And so you got to get up and you gotta, you got to start running again. And maybe your knees are scraped and maybe you're bleeding a little bit or maybe you're hurt. Maybe it's your pride and your feelings that are hurt more than anything. But you get up and you keep running the race because there's still a race that God wants you to run. Listen, write it down. When you fall down, and you will, when you fall down, get back up. Just get back up. Listen, there are some of us that at one point in our life, we were following Jesus with everything that we had, and our desire was to please Him and run the race that He wanted us to run. And life got a little bit of heart, and we laid down, and we hadn't gotten back up, and we've been there for years. We've been there for years. Listen, God's message today might simply be to you, I just need you to get back up. Just stand back up and start walking the race again. Look, quit worrying about everything that happened in the past. Quit worrying about how you fell down and how embarrassing it was. And just get up and start running again. Just start running again. Retrain the focus. Focus back on the finish line, the person of Jesus, and get up and just start running again. And listen, and don't you dare give up on God because He hadn't given up on you. He hadn't given up on you. You know how I know He hadn't given up on you? Because you're here. Right? You're in this room today. God hadn't given up on you. You're still here on planet Earth. There's still a purpose and a reason for your life. And so get up and run the race. Look, I want you to know the most important thing that you can do, and the key to all of this, is you got to get in the race to start with. you got to get in the race. Look, some of us ran for a little while and we're on the sideline. And it's time just to ease back on the track. And to start running again. There are some people in this room that never entered the race. This is kind of an odd race to enter. The way that you enter the race is by giving up. And so this morning, maybe you feel God speaking to you for the first time in your life. And you sense that He's doing something inside of you, in your spirit. And your step today is going to be this. Is that you're going to need to say, Lord, I will run the race you want me to run. I surrender my life to you. Like, I'm tired of trying to do this on my own, and now I will run the race that you desire for me to run. I will live the life that you desire for me to live. But you got to get in the race. Listen, it is fun to watch a sporting event, but it is twice as fun to take place in it. Look, some of you guys, you've been watching people live for Jesus for years. Look, it's fun to see great heroes of the faith, and it's fun to read about people like Moses and Aaron. And look, there are heroes of Journey Church, people that 15 years ago made sure that there was a church in Prattville just like this one that was reaching people with the gospel of Jesus. And I love hearing about them, but it's way more fun to be a part of it. It's way more fun to be a part of what God is doing than watching other people do it. Theodore Roosevelt is a hero of mine. He said this about actually living life and being in the race. He said, it's not the critic who counts. It's not the man that points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. 
The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and in the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place will never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Look, it's a lot of words for Theodore Roosevelt to go get in a race. Look, you're missing it. If you're not out there running the race... You're missing it. Hey, here's some next steps. And the first one is this, is that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then this morning the most important decision that that you can and ever will make is to enter the race by surrendering your life to Him. That's it. Scripture is clear. It tells us that, that we're all sinners. Every person that has set foot on this platform today has the same issue that every person in this room has. We're sinners. Right? There is sin in our life. And it tells us that the punishment of that sin is death and eternal separation apart from the God who created you and loves you. But listen, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. That's it. That's how you entered the race. You admit, you know what, God, I have made a mess of this. Not only have I made a mess of it, there's stuff in my life holding me back, but there's sin in my life. I'm a sinful person. There are things in my life that I know absolutely go against you. And you enter the race by admitting that and saying, Lord, here I am. Would you forgive me of those things? And would you be my Lord and my Savior? Because in a day, if you feel God drawing you, if you feel Him speaking to you, look, don't put it off and don't go home and think about it. If He's speaking to you right now, make the decision. Say, Lord, you know what, today, today at Journey Church, you can remember it forever. I'm going to enter the race. And I'm going to find the race that God wants me to run, and I'm going to run it. Maybe you entered the race a long time ago. Then that next step, maybe for you should read, it's time to get back in the race. Then get up and start living for Jesus again. Let Him become the most important person in your life again. Let's go live with courage. Share the gospel. The Bible says, he who wins souls is wise. Look, there's no better way to run than by bringing other people alongside of you and sharing with them the hope that you found in Jesus. Get up and start running again. Listen, I believe with all of my heart that there are people in the world that need you to get up because you are God's mouthpiece to share the gospel with them. They need you to get up. They need you to stop being distracted. They need you to get up and run because they need to know the Jesus that you know. Listen, fathers, your your family... They don't need you just to bring home the bacon. They need you to be a dad that loves Jesus and shows them how to run a race. Mom, they they don't just need you to go to work or to have a clean house or to cook meals. Your kids need to see someone who loves Jesus and shows them how to run a race. They need it. They need you to get up and they need you to run. That's what we need. Listen, would you guys pray with me? Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for the love that you have for us. God, I thank you for simple truths. Like these four, God, simple truths, like we need people in our lives that are the type of people we want to become. That we need to keep our load light, God, that, that, that especially here in America, we're, we're running a race and, I mean, we're just toting around a bunch of stuff that you don't desire for us to tote around. Now, thank you for the reminder that our focus should be on you. 
and that you are a God with whom nothing is impossible. God, there is no, no one too far from you that you can't draw on. There's no problem too difficult that you can't conquer it. So God, help us to keep our focus and our eyes on you. Hey, if you're in the room this morning, if you would, just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed just a second. Maybe when I was talking about entering the race, that was you. You felt God drawing you to himself. And this morning, you'd like to make that decision. If that's you, I just want to lead you through a prayer. Listen, you don't have to say this word for word. You don't have to say it out loud. This is a decision between you and God. Simply say, Lord Jesus, today, I realize that I need you. Lord, I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of those sins. And I invite you to be my Lord, not just my Savior. If you prayed that today, would you do something for me? In just a second, we're going to, we're going to close the service up. We have a VIP room in the back. And we have some people there who just love to pray with you, put, put some free gifts in your hand, and help you along your race, along your journey with Jesus. So as the service is ending, if you would, just make your, your way back there just as quick as you possibly can. And hey, if you're in the room this morning, and you'd say, you know what, there's some encumbrances in my life. There are things in my life that mean more than they should, and they're keeping me from running the race that God wants me to run. If that's you, would you just lift your hand real quick? It's just me and you. I just, I just want to pray for you. I see you there. Hands all over the room. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for who you are. God, thank you that your word doesn't return void. God, that your word is truth and it speaks to us and it changes us. God, I pray that when we walk out of this room, that we have the courage to share with those that we do life with what you've said to us and the words that you've spoken to our heart. Lord, give us the courage not just to raise our hand and say there's some things that I need to do different, but give us the courage to go and to live that difference out. Lord, I love you. Man, I thank you for this place of journey. And I thank you for the different people in here that come together week in and week out, Lord, not just to worship you, but to have an impact on our community. God, may we be faithful to the race that you've called us to run. In the name of Jesus. Amen.